1: Good afternoon, this is the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture. I'm Judith Jacobs with and with me is Dashron Johan and Hezrell Ashraf. So we have a story for you today about the Malayan tiger. So Awang Rasau, the Malayan tiger, which was shot by poachers, died recently despite all the efforts to save him. So with less than 200 Malayan tigers left in the wild here in Peninsula Malaysia, this case has been a stark reminder of the work that is left to, uh, left to be done to protect the tigers that we have left. So we're going to be discussing the fate of Malayan tigers Tigers and why we must not give up the fight to protect them.
2: Yep, and you've got if you've got any thoughts or comments, do send them our do send them our way. you can tweet us at BFM radio or send us a whatsapp to zero one eight. Seven, eight, nine, double eight, double nine. That's right. So, they're a symbol
3: of national pride, of bravery, courage and regalness. The Malayan tiger is prominently featured in our national coat of arms, in the logo of our national car proton and Malaysia's football team is also affectionately uh, referred to as Harimau Malaya. So, although uh, also dubbed uh, Pak Belang by locals, the Malayan tiger is said to be the national animal of Malaysia yet there are said to be less than 200 of them left in the wild.
2: Yeah, that's right. Right. and according to the worldwide fund of nature or uh, wwf it was estimated that malaysia had as many as 3000 million t- tigers back in 1950s and since then numbers have deteriorated rapidly you know as dash mentioned just now and, and figures from 2014 indicated that the number of uh, the million, of million t- tigers in the wild has declined to just 250 Uh, to 340 and they are now classified as critically uh, endangered species under the IUCN red list with as we mentioned uh, less than 200 left in the wild today and it faces an extremely high chance of extinction.
1: That's right, and um, just a little bit more about the Malayan tiger, if you don't quite know much about it, right? So up until two thousand and four, there was actually no such thing as a Malayan tiger. Mm-hmm. Our breed of tigers was simply classified as the Indo-Chinese tiger, Panthera tigris corbeti, and then you know with the DNA testing and all of that, it was proven that our tigers were actually a separate subspecies, and they were subsequently named Panthera tigris jacksoni mm-hmm. to classify them as a separate subspecies. And the Malayan tiger's orange is fur, of course with black striping and white face and um, undersides as well which are white and that gives the animal its unmistakable appearance.
3: Mm. That's right. Male Malayan tigers average approximately 2 to 2.5 metres in length with the females generally being much smaller and the weight of the Malayan tiger may vary between 78 kilograms and 150 kilograms and this all depends on the sex of the animal. The diet of the Malayan tigers includes deer, wild boar, tapir, sun bear and even elephants. So, the malayan tiger can only be found in the jungles of peninsula malaysia and southern thailand while other tiger species uh, prefer densely forested areas malayan tigers are usually more content with open woodland and this could be due to the abundance of prey in the open forest however due to the rapid deforestation Of our jungles, Malayan tigers have been venturing into agricultural areas and this has caused conflict between them and humans.
2: And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, there's a tragic story. Um, A male Malayan tiger named Awang Rasau was rescued from a palm oil plantation in Felda Kerti Tiga in Tringganu after it was spotted by residents on the 21st of February. And according to Wildlife and National Parks Department uh, Director General, Dato Abdul Kadir Abu Hashim, or uh, you know the director general of Perhilitan, Awang Rasa was rescued by 15 personnel from the Dungun and Kumaman branches at 11:30 a.m. on February the 22nd, and then the tiger was transferred to the National Wildlife Rescue Centre in Perak for treatment. Yes, and it was also reported
3: in in the NST that the 160-kilogram tiger was found with eight bullets in Mm, his body following an operation on him. Um, Kadir said that the shots fired by alleged illegal hunters had paralyzed the tiger's uh, hind legs and caused other severe injury. One of those shots... Had even hit its spinal cord, uh, causing its uh, paralysis, Mm. right? And it was also found that poor Awang Rasao had been shot several times before, but that the old wounds were not
2: as serious. Yeah, it's just so, so sad to hear, Mm, right? And, you know, even though Awang Rasao was uh, showing positive uh, developments, uh, you know, in in recovery, uh, its appetite increased and it was able to lift its head and change its body position when touched. Uh, In the end, unfortunately, the beautiful tiger passed away, sadly on the 5th of March. And Perhilitan announced the death in a Facebook post and they said that uh, he had passed due to uh, excretory system failure and, uh, the, and a bacterial infection of the wound uh, that was on his hind leg.
1: Yeah, this is really, I guess, you know, a severe blow to our conservation efforts. I mean, as we keep mentioning over and over again, mm. there's less than 200 of them yeah. left in the wild, you know. I mean, that's down from 3,000 yeah. which wasn't much to begin mm. with. Um, and I guess the message, is clear that if efforts aren't increased, you know, we don't, really don't step up efforts to curb poaching and especially deforestation as well. You know, yeah. this this battle to save the tigers is just going to continue to be a downhill one. Um, but I guess, you know, is everything lost? Uh, we're not sure yet, <laughs> right? We shouldn't give up hope. So joining us on the line now is Mark Ryan Damaraj. He is the country director of the Wildlife Conservation Society Malaysia Program. And uh, Mark has actually spent almost two decades working on tiger conservation. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Um, so, you know, the the recent death of Awang Rasau, that I guess was really a stark reminder that poachers are still pretty much at it, right? Um, what are some of the challenges Malaysia faces in fighting poaching? You know, does does our geography work against us?
0: Uh, perhaps before going on the on the issue of poaching, uh, you know, going back to the circumstances that how this tiger was found, mm. it, it indicates to me that it could have been poachers or represents a failed attempt of retaliatory killing. Uh, obviously, the tiger was found in a Hong Kong estate and you know, there were complaints of uh, uh, cattle being uh, predated upon. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so it sort of reminds me of when I started working on tigers almost two decades ago, when human-tiger conflict was an issue that would be highlighted in the papers, media, more often than poaching, you know. Mm-hmm. But these days, you hardly hear conflict not because the relevant conditions have enabled a human-tiger conflict free space. But i think it's because tiger numbers have plummeted quite a bit and so going back to the the issue the biggest threat faced by tigers is as you as you have clearly pointed out is poaching uh, but it's, it's it's not a straightforward sort of uh, equation because it's it's tied with not just poaching of tigers but also of it's prey so uh with regards to, to poaching I, I think we can look at it from two angles um you know trying to stem poaching at the site level which is, you know, in the forest, and uh, going beyond uh, and looking at how the the, the trade chain works. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, these tigers are then uh, shipped across uh, international borders and, and moved uh, to other parts of the Southeast Asian countries and, uh, and also in China. So um, in relation to, to the poaching issue at the site level, I think our biggest challenge has been Trying to get enough uh, rangers mm-hmm. of people to patrol the forest. There's just not enough um, people to patrol the forest. And as you have rightly pointed out, it, the, our terrain doesn't. I mean, it's not really helpful. That it's, it's not flat. Definitely, it's not like what you can see in the Africa savannah, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's also very dense. Uh, it's not like you can, yet you can use drones and just fly all those drones to detect poachers. Um, and so yeah, the the terrain does, you know. I suppose has some causes some challenges, but at the end of the day, it is about I suppose it relates back to the resources that we have at hand, uh, and resources could mean you know personnel on the ground or enough financial um, uh, support uh, for 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 rangers to protect the forest. In, in relation to you know uh, looking at the trade elements I think very often people stop at the site level. They catch the, the guys going in with the snares or, you know, with a gun. But then there's, there's very little uh, sort of uh, effort in trying to figure out how um, this poaching at the site level is linked to the trade level. So there is there is a middle person there. There is a syndicate going on. And how are they working across and moving, um, you know, uh, I suppose, parts or you know wildlife across our borders? That needs to be really tackled as well. Uh, Because if not, we're just going to be firefighting uh, at the site level.
2: Now, you alluded to the illegal wildlife trade, you know, which is a never-ending issue. Uh, Can you give our listeners an idea of just how bad the illegal trade in wildlife and wildlife products uh, has become?
1: I
0: suppose wildlife trafficking is, you know, it's termed as um, the fourth largest illegal trade after drugs, human trafficking, and counterfeiting. And the value is, you know, it can rake up to about 26 million uh, USD per year. And of course, Asia is the epicenter for wildlife trafficking. And to feed this trade, animals are basically harvested at the site level uh, in the forest and then caught and then traded across, uh, you know, whether it's within the country or across uh, different countries. Um, In relation to tigers, I suppose uh, the most uh significant report that you can i can think of is that traffic study found that malaysian enforcement agencies you know well they were able to seize at least 103 individual tigers uh, over over 15 year period from 2000 to the year 2000 uh, that sort of gives gives us an indication of you know how vast um you know the the, the trade for not just tigers but also other carnivores was is um, in malaysia
3: now, just going back to our Malayan tiger, Mark, um, aside from poaching and the illegal wildlife trade, what are some other major threats to their survival in the wild?
0: Um, I mean, the, the most obvious one would be um, the space that they live in, so the habitat, the forest. Oh. Um, and with regards to forest, there's two major sort of uh, issues have that structure of so conversion of forests, as well as degradation and fragmentation of forests. Um, in relation to conversion of forest, it's clear cut, right? I mean, uh, you you start chiseling away the the forest, then you've got a smaller area for tigers to roam, uh, and not just tigers, but also their prey. Uh, so that affects, uh, you know, the, the population viability of uh, of of you know any sort of, of population within that area. Um, when it comes when it comes to fragmentation, that that's a little bit more, um, I think, more dynamic in the sense where there are lots of factors that can play into the fragmentation of forests. So if you've got a road, for example, bisecting a forest, or you've got a you know a plantation smack in the middle of a forest, um, what what that 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 basically leads to you know other other sorts of issues of people coming into the forest where you know in the past they wouldn't have had that access, and so that increases the the, the risk of poaching. Uh, it also uh, you know it creates this kind of issue with, uh, with this tiger that was you know, uh, found in the plantation, right? Uh, retaliatory killing, uh, conflict uh, can occur as well. Mm. So fragmentation basically also limits uh, movement of, of uh, these large mammals and, and tigers as well. And so if you look at it from, from that perspective, uh, the habitat uh, side of the story is, is equally important uh, to be looked at for Tiger conservation. Um, obviously, the, the other aspect that is often um, you know, neglected is looking at the prey decline. Um, for tigers, I mean, they, they weigh between 150 and 200 over kilos uh, for the Malayan tiger. They need uh, large enough prey to support them for over a 10 day period. So, the most, the most I suppose, in terms of energetics, the most uh, important prey is the samba deer for, for tigers in Malaysia. Unfortunately, this species has declined rapidly in terms of numbers as well as you know where they would be found or where they would be distributed. And that's simply because of you know uh, for the obvious reason would be historical hunting. Um, and you know when we talk about poaching, people always think about you know direct poaching of tigers, netting of tigers. but the, the other part of it is that um, you know a lot of locals that live in and around forests, I've been hunting for summer deer and barking deer for a very long time. And if you if you did that over a historical you know, timeline of a 20-30 year period, and if it's not really regulated, then what you find is that these pockets of forest no longer have this large prey. When the large prey declines, tiger numbers go down as well because they are not able to reproduce fast enough. Uh, because they don't have uh, the, the food that would sustain them over a longer period. And you know, if you have a female that has cubs, the energetic requirements are much uh, higher.
1: Okay, all right. Um, We've just got to take a quick break now, but uh, when we come back, we're going to ask Mark about conservation efforts to protect our Malayan tigers. So keep it here right on the Daily Digest on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9 welcome back to the daily digest on the bigger picture I'm Julia Jacobs with Hezreel Ashraf and Dashan Johan so we're discussing our Malayan Tigers today and with less than 200 estimated left in the wild things aren't looking so Rosy mm. so earlier this month in another tiger succumbed to wounds from poachers mm. eight bullets were found in the tiger who was um, named awang Rasau, some of which left him paralyzed um, and that of course was just yet another blow to this species conversations mm. um, efforts yeah. right um, so we have on the line with us today Mark Ryan Damaraj, who is the country director of the Wildlife Conservation Society Malaysia Program. And Mark has spent uh, I think almost two decades working on tiger conservation. Mark, thanks for staying on the line with us. So, you know, before the break, you laid out the threats to Malayan tigers so clearly. Um, but now in terms of their conservation, I know that a lot of effort has been put to get local uh, communities involved in the fight to protect them, as well as other wildlife species. Has this helped to curb poaching of these, um, you know, of these animals?
0: I think, uh, you know, indigenous communities and local people that live in and run forests, they are actually your best allies. Um, and, you know, if we are able to garner their support, uh, they hold, uh, I suppose, knowledge of the forest that I think nobody else would hold. Um, they would they would know, uh, you know, which trails to use, where tigers are found, where you know, the species are found. And, you know, they're sort of dependent, uh, you know, to the forest. And I think the, the key is to be able to figure out um, how they can be brought into the system, the system of managing forests, system of protecting uh, the forests, whether it's a protected area or forest reserve, uh, is to figure out that, uh, that sort of mechanism that will enable them to be empowered, mm. but at the same time play a you know, an important role uh, to saving uh, biodiversity in Malaysia. And I think that aspect needs to be really looked at. Uh, whether it's, you know, figuring out, you know, what sort of uh, incentives will be given, uh, figuring out whether they could be hired or recruited. As you know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not a fairly uh, straightforward uh, sort of process of recruiting someone. If you look at just academic uh, qualifications, whether you have SPM or, you know, uh, mm. PMR or whatever, yeah. uh, some of these people don't have that that, that uh, sort of academic qualification. So the, the, the importance there is to basically figure out Uh, a system that will enable them to be evaluated based on their knowledge. Um, And that that needs to be looked at, um, I guess, in a wider scale, uh, to be able to get people with knowledge about the forest and wildlife to be part of the solution. Mm.
2: And now on that note, camera traps have also been widely used in conservation efforts for tigers. You know, how successful has this method been?
0: camera traps are a great tool to to I guess first detect the presence of uh, of tigers uh, but they also they, they I think for tigers it makes more sense for camera traps to be utilized as a tool compared to any other tool because um, you know the tiger stripes is basically uh, like a thumbprint the right and left flank of the tiger uh, is not, it's not identical uh, but it's different from another tiger. So as long as you've got enough camera traps set across the forest uh, and you're documenting the right and left flanks, uh, you over time, you'll be able to figure out the number of tigers that you have. And this is quite important um, in terms of you know, trying to figure out whether we are moving towards the right direction of saving tigers. Yeah. Um, and Malaysia, you know, I mean, we've basically, uh, we have, I think, at the point of uh, concluding the National Tiger Survey. In fact, no, sorry, it has, it has concluded in... Uh, Uh, in 2020, and I think the results are being uh, tabulated. Um, What I know is it's definitely less than 200 tigers. Uh, But I suppose we will have to see what what those uh, actual numbers show.
3: Okay, so now we know that tigers are the apex predator. What ecological functions do tigers in the wild serve? I mean, why are we fighting so hard to ensure their survival in the wild?
0: Right, so if you look at it from an ecological point of view, the tiger sits at the of the food chain right and yeah. so it, it, it's supposed to balance the ecosystem and regulates the predator and creator as well as predator and prey relationships. So if you have a lot of uh, you know prey or ungulates, uh, what we call as uh, animals that actually feed on uh, vegetation mm. if you have too much too many of those then you know your your habitat can be uh, degraded to a certain extent. And so in a natural environment, uh, tigers and other predators play that role of trying to limit or control um, the balance uh, or control the the numbers of these ungulates. Um, And so in a way as well, uh, tigers limit the other predators such as leopards or even uh, wild dogs, uh, limits their numbers because they they have competition, right? And and they would limit uh, the the distribution of some, some of these species. The reason why it's very important for tigers to be, still maintain is that if you remove tigers, then that old, um, you know, that whole chain um, will be basically, uh, you know, it, it will be off balance. Right. Uh, and the, the thing is, you know, we won't, we might not be able to realize it uh, over short term, short term, you know, mm. and perhaps only the next generation will face this kind of issues. I, I think the most easiest sort of example to relate is um you know when you when we look across other countries where wolves have been removed right um and then and then the the habitat changes uh, but once the wolves are brought back uh, it it goes it, it it tries to basically regenerate to the part to the place where how it was basically in, in the past um and very often it's not a you know a 10 or 20 years it could be you know over, over one or two generations um, and so people will not realize um, the effects immediately, but it's you know something that this generation really needs to look at, so that the next generation doesn't suffer.
1: And you know, Mark, you mentioned you know you've been working on this for twenty years now, and I, you know with still so many challenges ahead of us, how do you go about identifying conservation priorities? You know, utilizing best practices and implementing proven strategies to address, you know, all these challenges um, that are facing wild tigers today?
0: That's a, that's an excellent question, actually. Uh, and something that really needs to be thought of now, more more so than, than before, because the tiger numbers have uh, you know, dwindled quite a bit. Mm. Um, and so it, it goes back to the resources that we have at home. um Because, I mean, we can come up with all the bright ideas and, you know, figure out... Um, all the best practices that has already been applied but if you don't have to currently you don't have those resources to be able to implement and stop the bleeding uh, so to speak to stop the you know decline of tigers, then you know it, it's going to go down to a path where we will not be able to recover them at all um and so when i say stop the bleeding at, at least at the site level you know if we don't have like you know three thousand over two thousand over people to to protect the entire peninsula malaysian forest then you'd have to figure out where are the most important areas for tigers and, and one way to get around that is to look at where the breeding females are found um, within within the forest so if you're able to protect um, breeding female home ranges um what you, what you what you're essentially saying is that you're going to be able to uh, safeguard um, these female so that they will be able to breed and uh, population will increase over time if you have more resources, obviously you don't have to, you know, uh, look at um, the specifics of the population itself. Uh, so if you have like three thousand rangers, great. Spread them across. Um, figure out where's the best uh, locations that uh, you know poachers normally go. uh Look at it as sort of like a trend analysis of what's been done there before, the kind of snares, the different paths that they take, and then I think that that could um, basically stop the building But I think. You know, the biggest issue of, of stopping the bleeding is that people just stop at, uh, at, at, at those, at those uh, interventions. But it has to go beyond that, you know. I mean, if you if you remove a few of the poachers or you caught a few of these poachers, uh, it doesn't mean that everything is, is better because, you know, the middlemen and the people who are actually uh, getting the big bucks from creating these animals are going to get uh, new recruits. And, you know, it's just going to be a continuous cycle unless you get the middle person and um, you know the the large kingpins and the syndicates that are working behind the scenes. And so, obviously, intelligence gathering is a critical element uh, that needs to be looked at um, if you want to break that chain. Um, and of course, you know, getting financial mechanisms in place to stop further you know land conversion, forest conversion, degradation is you know really really important. Um, yes, poaching is the issue, but uh, you know, habitat conversion is also an a, a equally important aspect to be looked at. And I mean, land land is basically a state issue. So very often, you know, these policies and you know, and all that is, is developed at the federal level, right? But you know, essentially, the state and the federal um, authorities need to be able to work and come come together to figure out those financial mechanisms that will enable forests to be still maintained as forests within the states and not converted to a different land use and i think there are ways to get around it i mean ecological fiscal transfer from federal government to the state government is one way of looking at it mm. uh, but obviously there are other prospects like carbon uh and other mechanisms that can be uh, brought in to safeguard existing uh tiger habitat so i suppose in a way if we looked at it from uh you know the poaching aspect uh, getting really serious and figuring out um you know the links between poaching uh, on site and uh, the, the trafficking chain uh, as well as the habitat and to a certain extent once we've got that right then we can look at you know uh, the prey decline whether there's there's a need for prey augmentation mm. in order to increase the prey numbers so I suppose I'm trying to say that if we want to uh you know prioritize this is this is basically the foundation that we need.
2: Mm. And, you know, we just want to quickly get your opinion as well on the operasi bersepadu kazana, which has been fairly successful in the fight against uh, poachers. But, you know, moving forward, what more needs to be done to save the tigers we have left? I mean, you mentioned that figure is probably less than 200.
0: Yeah, so I think OBK, you know, has set the scene that the Malaysian government is serious about wildlife rights. Mm-hmm. And hats off to the IGP of the you know of our police uh, to be to to basically play that role and be very passionate about trying to get the p- police to help the Department of Wildlife and National Parks. Um, it 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 sends that sort of a you know a signal to to people who think that uh, you know law enforcement is really weak. So kudos to the IGP on that. Uh, I guess the next, I mean, before even thinking about the next thing needs to be done for a weekly, yeah, I think. More importantly, is how OBK needs to be institutionalized. Um, you know, uh, in a, I suppose, you know, if let's say uh, the IGP actually retires, um, you know, is, is there going to be a risk where OBK not, uh, is not prioritized? Right, right. So we would have to basically look at trying to, uh, uh, I guess, create a wildlife crime unit or a bureau within the police so that this can go on for a very long time. Uh, in relation to, uh, you know, I suppose in terms of um, the operations itself, uh, it can go beyond just, um, you know, anti-poaching and looking at that, um, whatever that's on, on, on trade or in some of these restaurants. I think it has to go to, uh, to an aspect where it's looking at intelligence gathering. The police are really great at that. Um, and I think we have to hit um, this, traders, uh, this middleman and this syndicate is where it hurts them the most, which is basically getting getting to the money. So the money, at, uh, you know, the uh, Anti-Money Laundering Act is a you know critical component that um, I think is also being looked at by the police. Um, and, and that will be the next game changer um, mm-hmm. in terms of crippling, uh, you know, some of the syndicates. Uh,
3: Mark, you mentioned funding is an important element in all of this. In terms of conservation funding for tigers, have you seen donations taper off over the years? Uh, people experiencing donor fatigue?
0: Um, to a certain extent, yes. I would say uh, you know we, we do find people uh, or you know, foundations, organizations that have been giving money, and you know I, I think for I, I think look at it from from their perspective. If they give you know a few million per year, they would expect tiger numbers to at least be maintained or you know, increased. Yeah. But you know, the, the the trajectory that you find in Malaysia is that it's going down, right? But yeah. it's not only in Malaysia. Um, I mean, obviously across Southeast Asia, tiger numbers are also going down. Um, and so that sort of creates the you know the 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 kind of situation where people feel that you know it may, it may, it may seem a little bit hopeless. However, uh, I think the critical point to, to recognize is that um, you know, saving tigers is not a, a five or 10 year period sort of a thing. You know? it's, a li- it's a lifelong effort that needs to be continued. And until and unless uh, that the relevant, um, I suppose, enabling factors are, are there, such as you know, enough resources, enough people to, to protect the forest, uh, enough money for them to be paid uh we have those, uh, you know, relevant tools in place, um, you know, vehicles and all that? You know, basically, the entire package. And until unless um, we have that systems in place, it's going to be a, a continuous uh, journey to try to get that sort of uh, funding mm. to be able to say that you know we're going to we're going to stop um, the decline of tigers and then move towards this trajectory of recovering them in Malaysia. So unfortunately, that is the reality.
2: Mm. And you know uh, that is unfortunate these these obstacles, right? But you know, despite all of this, you know, I think we, we we all agree that we must, of course, continue efforts to save the Malayan tiger. What would your message be to those who say you know it's a lost cause? How would you change their minds?
0: I think for, for tigers, the saving grace is that I mean this species is very resilient, and you can see because they've they've been found across you know various sorts of habitats from mangroves to uh, even in Russia, in the snowy alpines, right? Um, and and so for for tigers, it, it I think we, I mean humans are basically uh, the, the major cause of their decline, right? And for me, the tiger in Malaysia, the Malayan tiger, is a citizen of this country, <laughs> but you know it just does not have that voice. Um, and tiger conservation represents, in my mind, the fate of you know uh, wildlife conservation in Malaysia. It can't get any more charismatic than this, you know. It, it, you know, it can't get any more sexier than than, than than tigers. Um and so I suppose um what I'm trying to say is that we still have a chance uh, to to bend the curve for tigers. We still have a chance to be able um to, to lend our voice, uh, to to save its habitat and to continue rallying the decision makers uh, to make it a, a priority. So I, when we look across other countries, the single most important factor that has enabled tigers to thrive is that, that the highest political will uh, and the resources in place. But we need Malaysians to be able to lend your voice uh, you know, so that the decision makers will be able to afford uh, that sort of priority for the species. Uh, and in that way, also conserve wildlife, uh, not just tigers but wildlife in general.
3: Alright, on that note, thanks so much for speaking with us today, Mark. That was Mark Ryan Dharmaraj, the Country Director of the Wildlife Conservation Society Malaysia Program. And he was explaining the current situation of our Malayan tigers and why none of us should give up hope in the fight to save Mm. our remaining tigers in the wild. So if you'd like to find out more about tiger conservation work, do head to malaysia.wcs.org. You can also follow mycat.my. Uh, that is M-Y-C-A-T M-Y or www.org.my. That's right.
1: Um, lots of resources there. Yeah. Um, lots of actually, I, many organisations working towards this. So, um, you know, find out how you can support. Mm. Yeah. Uh, as as Mark said, there's a desperate need for um funding. You know, if you can help in any way, go ahead yeah. and do that. Help
2: a help a fellow citizen out. Look yes, <laughs> like Mark said, <laughs> yeah, you like know, said. Help,
1: who can't really um speak up for themselves, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, if you have any thoughts, you can always continue to share that with us. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Send us a WhatsApp message at 18 789 You can also look us up on Facebook. Just search for BFM The Bigger Picture and you can drop us a message there. But, um, you know, that is the end for of today's show. But if you miss any part of it, you can always download the podcast at bfm.my slash Daily Digest. You can find it on the BFM app, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you consume your podcast from. But uh, don't go anywhere. Coming up at 3 p.m., has here will be sticking around to speak with PKR Communications Director and Lemba Pantai MP, Fami
2: Patsil. Yeah, so on, on Live and Learn, uh, we're going to look at, you know, what's going on in PKR after mm-hmm. uh, Kuala Langan YB Xavier Jayakumar's defection to support Brikata uh, National. Uh, and, and I guess, you know, last I checked, it'll come ahead of a, uh, a, a press conference supposedly later today by Datuk Sri Anwar Ibrahim. So lots of things going on there.
1: Yep, yep. So stay tuned for that. That's coming up after the three pm news. But that's it from us uh, here on the Daily Digest. The big and this has been the Daily Digest on the Bigger Picture, BFM eighty nine point nine. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To
0: find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM eighty-nine point nine, the business station.